بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على نبي الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Okay, so Assalamu alaikum. Well, uh, welcome back to uh, Roots Conversations. This is, um, it's been a very long time. This is episode 20 and it's been a very long break. So we apologize for uh, any sort of inconveniences we've caused for our regular listeners. And uh, we'll be continuing with um, our podcasts in the following months, inshallah ta'ala, at a much smoother rate and a more consistent rate, inshallah ta'ala. Today's podcast uh, session features um, uh, two guests. Uh, usually it's one guest, but today, today I thought that it would be better to have two guests on this show. <coughs> We're going to discuss something that's actually very pertinent for the Muslim community in the UK and the West, generally speaking. Uh, and this is about fight, finding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through Islamophobia. So the topic today, inshallah ta'ala, is uh, about Islamophobia because of the Islamophobia Awareness Month, as you guys may know, uh, around university campuses, around uh, just generally exhibitions that you'd find in Masajid. Uh, and just campaigns on social media that there is a month specifically dedicated towards raising awareness towards Islamophobia. Um, so, without further ado, inshallah ta'ala, our first guest for this uh, podcast is Ustaz Mizan al Islam, Mijan al Islam, someone who I'm very uh, acquainted with, alhamdulillah. He actually uh, used to teach me Hifth. I was a very lazy student, but uh, alhamdulillah, I was blessed and honored to, to have him. And he's currently a director of, um, let me get this right. Baha Academy, and you are also uh, managing National Hufad Organi- uh, Foundation. Foundation National Hufad oh, Organization. Yeah. And so he's been. Uh, he's also because he's a head teacher at Madrasa uh, Taha Academy, which has over two has two branches in London. Uh, he has a lot. Of ex- he has extensive experience when it comes to um, knowing about the concerns of his students and what they're going through in schools and he's also coached and taught uh, workshops on Islamophobia so without further ado inshallah ta'ala I want to speak to uh, Ustad Mizan uh, Ustad um, or brother Aman uh, will be joining us later on in the podcast as uh, he'll come into the later stage of the podcast so any questions that you may have towards him or towards Mizan feel free to put those questions onto the comment section over here Inshallah ta'ala. So without further ado, inshallah, Ustad Mizan, I hand it over to you. Uh, how are you doing today? You're right. Alhamdulillah. First and foremost, assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Jazakumullah for having me. Ustad Asim, may Allah reward you and bless you, mashallah. And obviously, uh, Hisham, I believe, obviously, he's uh, the, the director of uh, Roots Academy. So may Allah reward his uh, efforts and everyone at Roots Academy, alhamdulillah. I believe there's a lag maybe in Asim, your internet. I do apologize for any inconveniences. Is it better now? Better, yeah. I can hear you. Alhamdulillah. Allah Barak for you. Please continue. Afwan, sorry about that. No, no. So, Alhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khairan for having me. Alhamdulillah. Um, it's a pleasure. Jazakumullah khairan. So first and foremost, I wanted to actually uh, talk to you about um, something that you told me in the office um, about a few days ago, about last week actually, to be more precise. precise. You mentioned something about um, your students, how they came and confided in you about Islamophobia uh, and the impact it has had on their lives, um, specifically in schools. So from your experiences teaching and doing workshops regarding the subject matter in your madrasas, have you uh, been, what have you seen in terms of, uh, what have you witnessed? Right. Brothers and sisters. So, um, Alhamdulillah, it's a very good question. Alhamdulillah, I've seen a lot as well from the youngsters. But um, for everyone to understand, I need to give a bit of context in terms of uh, the academy itself and where we're based and the environment, the community um, in the area. So, um, I was brought up in uh, Essex um, and the academy, the first academy. Uh, the HQ is just, is in, in Essex as well. So where we are in the area, uh, the, when we first moved to the area, there was not a single Muslim at all. It was my family and another family as well. Um, and we faced a lot of 
um, uh, racism, we faced a lot of abuse, etc. in the area, um, to the extent where uh, my sister and my mother's, when they were walking, um, a lot of people used to shout from the cars and chuck things, things from the cars, etc. Um, and alhamdulillah, this was what I'm talking about in 2007 when we moved here. Uh, up until now, alhamdulillah, obviously we established the academy in 2019. And now, alhamdulillah, we've become the leading Islamic organization in this area. So it just uh, goes to show the kind of the, the transition from then until now and what we face and how it's become now. Um, and because of that, a lot of students still, obviously, their uh, schools are within the area, the secondary school and the primary school. And it's not similar to other areas where it's predominantly Asians or predominantly Muslims, etc. There's still a lot of other uh, nationalities, a lot of other um, backgrounds there. And, uh, and the Muslim community are still um, quite the numbers are quite low so they face these students who come to the academy and they when they go to secondary school or when they go to primary school they do still face a lot of racism even the parents as well and uh, they come to us or they come to me and they come to my tnl and they they say that look this is what we're facing some of them they talk about hijab they say we're wearing uh, towels on our head um the boys they they get um some of them are growing a little bit of hair on their faces and on the moustache and stuff like that. And um, obviously to them, they know that it's Islamic. They know that it's 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 uh, sunnah to keep a beard. But they're, they're, again, they faced a lot of racism. That why do you keep the beard, etc. So through the workshop, we see what they're facing and it has a mental effect on them. Um, they might bottle it at times, they might keep it to themselves. But when you speak to them deep down, when, you, when they break, when they open up to you, when you dig down in, into them, they understand you understand what they're going through the mental uh stress they're going through it's it's not easy to take it in um so unfortunately we are facing that and we will face this but um one thing i want to say is that with the children especially with the youngsters today um it starts from the home and what does that mean that means that um then the tarbiyah it starts from the home the parents need to instill within the children that look when you go to school, there will be difference of people. We have Muslims, you have Christians, you have other religions, you have different people of different color. Um, and you need to make your children understand that, look, this will happen, okay? Um, but you need to retaliate in a positive way, okay? You need you don't, you cannot retaliate in a negative way so much that they see Islam in a bad way. Because already to them, Islam may be a sort of a scary religion. Islam is, is full of violence and stuff like that. But we don't want to give them that. We don't want to give them that impression. We want to give the impression that they can do that to us, but we retaliate in a positive way. Um, and that is something that needs to be instilled in the youngsters first and foremost. And also they need to be uh, nurtured and spoken to. Because also, uh, Brother uh, Ustad Asim, that you know when youngsters go through something, and Islamophobia is, is, is a big one, they keep it into themselves. They feel as though they can't open up to no one. They feel as though uh, their parents won't take it seriously. Because I've seen as well, you know, some parents, they don't take it seriously. They're like, oh, we've been we've been uh, holding this for a number of years. We've been going through this for a number of years. It's normal. It's not. Nowadays, children are very different to when the parents were children themselves. You know, back in the days, maybe they, they bottled it in a different way. But youngsters today, they can't. They need to be uh, spoken to. They need to voice themselves. So, again... Um, it's just kind of us to understand that children do go through this as well, not just adults. And children find it hard to express themselves. So we need to, as teachers, as parents, as mentors, as coaches, we need to allow them to express themselves and understand them, inshallah. So just as an extra introduction, inshallah, and kind of um, understanding of that children, they go through this as well. And uh, as a teacher, I've seen this as well. I mean, hypothetically, Allah barakfiq, by the way. Hypothetically speaking, I mean, how how do parents address such a difficult situation where their parents, uh, their children, come back from home, they are bottling in their feelings towards certain remarks that were made at them, whether that be hijab or beard, um, and it becomes so normalised in society. We have to bear in mind, especially for the British society, we um, we um, what's the word? We humiliate ourselves. As as a joke, we 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 make we make jokes out of many things. It's part of our culture, uh, and it's part of our sarcasm that we have as a nation. Um, but these, um, when it comes to something like religion, when it comes to something something like a beard or a hijab or anything Islamic, it can have um, negative effect when it comes to Muslims because we feel like we are disadvantaged. Or how would you console someone, or what would you expect a parent to to really say about something like this? 
Definitely, no, wicked. That's a perfect question, mashallah. So that comes down to first and foremost as parents. So I want to tackle this issue first. That as parents, we need to uh, learn and instill the love of the Quran, the Sunnah within our lives. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, because if we as a parent, let me give a scenario where there's a parents, both mother and the father, they're not as um, close to the religion as they should be. And uh, they don't care about hijab, they don't care about beard, they don't uh, they don't care about tarbiyah, etc. Then unfortunately, the child won't have that within them as well. Okay, and uh, the way they will tackle it will be different. They will say, look, it's fine, you, you go uh, ahead, let them say whatever they want, etc, etc. But first, if a parent has that tarbiyah within them, if the parents is close to the Quran, close to the Sunnah, the first thing they will say to that child, and they should say to that child, and this is for everyone, is that look, your religion is Islam. Allah orders you to cover yourself. Allah orders you to be a good Muslim. Okay? Allah orders you to have good mannerisms. And this is a parent's approach. This should be a parent's approach. That if this does happen, if a child does come home and they say to you, he or she says to you, look, I'm having these comments saying against me, their approach should be, look, number one, you're a Muslim. You should be confident with yourselves. You know, at times we're not as confident as we should be. You know, uh, we should have a Muslim identity first and then other our other identities. If we put Muslim, our Muslim identity at the bottom and then our nationality identity at the top, unfortunately, uh, your mindset will be different. So you need to understand first and foremost that you're a Muslim. You need to be confident with yourself. And also, um, and this is to the teachers as well and, and parents as well, that we need to educate our children. Okay, We need to tell them about the contemporary issues that are happening. Okay, because if we don't educate them, okay, to them, when they are going through this problem, they will feel as though, oh, my religion is strict, my religion is, is very harsh. Do you understand? So they need to be taught this that look, Allah orders you to do so on and so forth, to do X, Y, and Z. You will, whatever they're saying, that's their problem. You need to be strong with your Iman, and uh, they need to be given that sort of tarbiyah first and foremost, inshallah. Um, so, yeah, that should be a parent's approach. Um, to first reassure them that look, you are a Muslim and be confident with yourself. You wear hijab for Allah. You don't wear hijab for the people. You grow a beard for the Sunnah of the Prophet. You don't grow a beard to show off and etc. Um, so yeah, that, inshallah, that should be a parents' approach first and foremost. I think that's a fantastic um, approach to building confidence. Is to have parents themselves should have confidence themselves as well. The same words that you've uttered, for example, believing the Quran and Sunnah and standing up for what's your Muslim identity first. Yeah. Awal, aslan is the most important thing for parents to also actualize and manifest in themselves. Absolutely. Often parents have this um, this inferiority complex where oh. they've internalized that Islamophobia. And they've said it's just part of, like you've mentioned before, it's yeah, part of who exactly. I am, it's part of the culture, just get with the times. Yeah, but to make that stand is, and to show them the strength that you have in, in standing up for what you believe in is the confidence yeah. that they sometimes need in the house first before they go into school. Especially yeah. when they're, especially, you know, for example, in today's time, we are constantly bombarded with ideological uh, challenges and children yeah. are constantly on their phones with new. Uh, you know, ideologies and new sort of systems and ways of thinking, and they often can have too much, uh, too much at offer on the, on the table for them to decide certain things, and that's where it's really important for parents to instill those, um, to be proactive and to instill those values first. Oh, you know, I don't know, Ustad Asim is uh, another thing is on the other side is parents cannot give the children the negative aspect of it, and uh, what means that. Uh, to not tell the children that if this happens, you you use violence. That that should and unfortunately we see that as well. I've seen it in school. I've seen it in, in madrasas, in schools, in other organized. When I worked with children, is uh, when you ask them that look, what has your parents said about this? They, they say my parents told me to to uh, act uh, act in a certain way, which is obviously is not is not part of the Islamic um, teachings, and that is that is unfortunately the reality. So again, it's a request to the parents that if your child does come to you, you give them the positive reply. Okay. Again, number one, to not neglect them, to not say it's it's fine and you overlook it, etc. Number two, on the other side, to not give them wrong advice. Okay. Uh, to give them the right advice and to for them to retaliate in a positive way for them because at the end of the day, you know, me and you, everyone, we are ambassadors of our religion. 
Okay, wherever we go, we represent Islam. Islam is not just in the school. Islam is not just in college and in, in Islam is everywhere. Wherever you go, you are representing Islam. Do you understand? So wherever you may be, if you face this problem, you need to understand that you're a Muslim. Whatever you say, whatever you do, will come back onto the religion. And they will they will have an excuse that look, I, I said I believe in what I said. You you you're like that. So uh, inshallah. Subhanallah, it reminds me of this um, verse. Ya ayyuhaladina amanatukallah haqqa tuqati wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. Do not die except as muslimun. And I think that, you know, that sort of valiancy or, or sort of like uprightness and, 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 and sort of strength that we should have as Muslims, the izzah, the honor of being a Muslim, is something uh, that has huge ramifications yeah. when it comes to dealing with Islamophobia. Being connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through finding strength and being strong and trusting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and relying upon him to protect you from whatever that you know i think i mean to dive de- to dive slightly deeper actually in terms of your students because yeah. i mean how many students do you have in your two branches at the moment was three uh, branches three three branches so in all three uh, we have about more than 300 students alhamdulillah and allah bless you and have you noticed whether when you have conducted these workshops and you have spoken to your students have you noticed that um you know that they've been hurt or have they been affect how they've been affected by you know these sort of comments or behaviors or attitudes perhaps even on an institutional level whether that been by teachers themselves or by the students or by the you know social media have you noticed the effect that it's had on them yeah, subhanAllah, in different ways, different, different ways in the, the character um, and how they've kind of, um, they question themselves and that's the upsetting thing, you know, um, I'm actually like this, do I actually look like this? Um, and also, obviously, then they start to question the religion that why is Islam like that? And, you know, they, I'm, um, they can't be blamed. Okay, at the end of the day, they are children. I'm talking about children. The recent workshop that I done was between about 13 to 15 years old. Again, they don't understand what a 17 or 18 year old would understand. So talking about that age bracket, um, they were really questioning themselves. They're questioning their religion, etc. So you can see it's hurt them a lot. And you can see the effect it has on them in terms of the character, in terms of the way they think about themselves, the way some of them have lost interest in even learning about the deen because of the constant... Um, pressure that they gain, the constant uh, backlash that they gain uh, from uh, wherever they are, school or, or primary school or secondary school. Uh, you can see that. So again, and what what happens is they're, they're finding it hard to open up. They're, you need to really dig down. You need to really warm up to them. And that's something as well. We can't just forcefully say, oh, what's happened? Tell us, tell us. No, you need to warm up as teachers. And this is a request to all the teachers who are listening and who will listen. Head teachers, teachers, that you will face this okay madrasa is not black and uh, gray okay you're not just to they're gonna come learn quran sunnah and they're gonna go no unfortunately what the world how the world is going as madrasas we are facing this a lot of things not just islamophobia but a lot of things yes islamophobia is there we need to tackle this correctly as institutions as teachers um and again it's a request that alongside with the maktab or with the madrasa studies we need to have these um extracurricular lessons as well extracurricular workshops because like i said the way it affects them they don't open up and through this workshop they will see okay the teachers are getting onto my level and they will start to open up and then you start to understand you know i didn't understand that before but uh, when you start to speak to them you see how it affects them a lot uh, mentally uh, psychologically everything even religiously spiritually it, it, it really damages them um, and because they're youngsters they feel like no one's going to listen to them uh, it, it gets difficult for them and unfortunately you know some i'm sure you've heard as well they go to the extreme of uh, hurting themselves or go to commit suicide because of what because a simple a talk talking to them that didn't take place so um it's, it's really sad the, the things that with the youngsters especially subhanallah you know another thing as well like to add a bit more uh, perhaps a caveat to that discussion is to i would say that for some being in that situation where you feel isolated you feel like yes. you don't belong in society you don't feel like you feel like your values are not being appreciated and you don't feel like you appreciate yourself it yes. often leads some of us also to find closeness to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because you know at those moments where society does not welcome you or you feel as though society does not welcome you whether that be through a racist remark that was made or just general things that you've gone through uh that's been as unphobic that's 
sort of ruined your self-esteem. Uh, it, it's at those moments where you really can build that connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and find that if no, if everyone, you know, they plot and plan, but Allah is the best of planners, you know. Exactly. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the all-knowing and all-supreme and his, you know, he He is the Malikul Mulk, you know, it's up really and truly the power and control of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he can protect you and he can guide you and he can, you know, he can, he can give you that source of belonging that you have, you feel that you're deprived of. And so young people, subhanAllah, for me, uh, I've, uh, from my understanding and my limited experiences, I've noticed that it's also, you know, it's led to a, a, a positive, uh, some sort of positive solution for many of us. We've just decided that, you know, perhaps we don't belong in some way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our source of guidance and our protection. I mean, have you noticed that in general young people today that they're more confident in saying, you know what, that's not right. Uh, and I believe that, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is, you know, the God who created me and everyone. So you say that again, brother Asim, I didn't catch it. As in, like, have you seen that yourself, like in your students, uh, that this Islamophobia that they are facing both on systemic levels and, and in personal ways, perhaps as well, is that it's got, it's got them closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, once you have kind of nurtured them, once you have warmed up to them and you kind of explain to them, uh, they do realize that, number one, we are Muslims. Uh, and uh, they feel confident after obviously they go through what they've gone through it, and then once they start listening to the Quran once they start understanding the Quran once they start understanding the hadith um, and even looking at the story of the Prophet and this is something very important as well uh, the seer of the Prophet that if you look at the time when he went to Ta'if right when he went to spread the religion of Islam it's a very important story that we need to all know of he faced a lot of um, uh, a lot of problems where he was beaten, he was uh, he was kicked out. Why? Because of the people there did not accept Islam. They saw Islam as a sort of a, um, a, a abnormal religion. That why is it here? So the Prophet went through that. Um, and what was his response to that? Did he fight back? Did he torture them back? No. He retaliated in a positive way, and that was his principle always. Whatever whatever happened. That was his principle, that retaliate in a positive way. But uh, to answer your question, yes, there has been a big change. Um, once they do turn back, it gets them closer to Allah. Because once they start learning the Qur'an, understanding it, they know that Allah is always there for, for them. And Allah says in the Qur'an, لا That do not despair from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Whatever you go through, whatever you do, always know that Allah is there. Allah will never ever turn away from you. You walk, you walk to Allah, Allah will run to you. And Allah is Ar-Rahman, Allah is Ar-Rahim. So to reassure all the brothers and sisters, youngsters, olders, that whatever you go through in life, Allah is always there. You know, uh, see it as a test from Allah. Okay, see it as a test from Allah and always know there is light at the end of the tunnel. Okay, yes, you might face this for a number of years, for a number of years, but always call on to Allah. That, ya Allah, you are the one who is Ar-Rahman. You are the one who is Ar-Rahim. And uh, this should be a, a means of us getting closer to Allah. Okay, when we go through trials and tribulation in life, hardship, no, it's a test from Allah and not a, a from a, 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 the wrath of Allah. Okay, we need to have that mentality, have a positive mentality, inshallah, uh, because you will see things will open up for you, your heart will open up, your minds will open up, inshallah. Um, so yeah. And I think, like you mentioned, have a positive outlook. Uh, I'm sure, you know, um, for our listeners that have, you know, let's be honest, many of us have seen xenophobia. We've been through situations where we've been abused verbally, yeah. uh, even physically, mentally, psychologically. And, and those impacts or those those situations can impact us for life. And um, having having uh, acceptance of the reality, knowing that this is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sometimes makes us shift our way of thinking because we now accept it for what it is. And now it's about me taking action. What do we do when we see such a thing? Um, you know, and inshallah ta'ala, if uh, our brother Aman will kindly join us in a few minutes or, or so, I believe he'll be trying to uh, join later on. He can elaborate on this as well, how we can take a, that active, proactive step to ensuring we can, you know, do, do some change in terms of, um, you know, civilly speaking or in terms of the political uh, realm of, 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 of uh, policy and, and just trying to, you know, use the system to help us protect our identity to a certain extent and so there's there are elements of how we can you know provide this within the communities um, yeah 
but one thing that I would I would I wanted to ask you about with regards to you know with this um especially with your students and and you know let's be honest you're quite young how old are you Mizan you're quite like in your twenties I believe you're young twenty you're like twenty one twenty two let's not say on the public platform here but you're very young by the way mashallah yeah, sure, I know sure. that mashallah Allah, Allah bless you you know for to you know, you've seen a lot in terms of your experiences you obviously you're a teacher you know what because uh, Allah you know you mentioned that because at a young age um, I've seen a lot young people who are my age may not have seen what I've seen. Um, again, not just I'm, I'm talking about different things, but even in terms of uh, Islamophobic and a lot of problems, you know, um, that I've seen, I've kind of uh, helped people with. It's opened my mind as well um, uh, and how we should help the youngsters and not just youngsters, anyone. Do you get it? Um, as imams, as teachers. So uh, alhamdulillah, Allah's, Allah's blessed me see a lot at, at, a, at a very young age. And I think, you know, um, when I was when I was maybe like in my teens, okay, 18, 19, there was, like I mentioned before, for me, Islamophobia was really difficult. Uh, I was like the only Muslim in my school. You know, I was in the countryside. Uh, the nearest mosque was half an hour drive, not walk, half an hour drive in a different city. Um, and for me, Islamophobia was my daily existence. Going to school was an Islamophobic experience. You know, I was always known for that, you know, for the color of my skin or, you know, most most importantly, I was questioned, you know, because as you may know, my context was 9-11 happened in 2003, I believe it was. And I was in my, you know, in primary school, I witnessed people, you know, changing how they view me as a person. And I know many people did not have the support, um, both politically and organization wise, and they didn't have the support even at home. They didn't have the support in a masjid. There was no masjid. And so young mm. people often begin to build, or rather they develop low self-esteem because they yeah. don't like the way they look. They don't like the way that we are. And we often start to hate ourselves as a result of this. Yeah. So for yeah. me personally, when I went through these xenophobic problems, it, it took me a while to understand, especially when I went to university and I started to meet Muslims and I started to live in, you know, um, around Muslims and Masjid had been close to me and experiencing the, you know, the the brotherhood of Islam. And it gave me that strength that I had found missing. I know many people don't have that opportunity like I did, but it does make me wonder that in this difficult climate that we do have, especially Madaris, how important are Madaris when it comes to these sort of situations? I mean, should there be the hubs for them to come and complain about their issues? Um, I mean, how would you see it from that, your perspective? Absolutely. I think, uh, as I always kind of given a bit of a, uh, advice already, but I think to dig deeper, every masjid, every this this includes masjid, brother Asim as well. Um, recently, I don't I don't know if you're aware, but some of the brothers and sisters may be aware. Um, I've uh, designed a youth program known as our youth program. And essentially what the aim and ethos of that program is to power empower our youth, not just in Islamic side to, to give them tarbiyah, but to give them materials to conquer stuff like Islamophobia. Um, and this is this is not for just my maktab, but every single madrasa every single maktab must have something like this. Uh, again, not just something for Islamophobia or, or stuff like that, but a hub where children can come, okay, sort of a helpline. Okay, so we help them where people can come, call in anonymously, or even come and say, <clears throat> say who they are and speak about these things. Have a mentor. You know, masjid should in, in, in masjid the makatib should invest in sort of things. Um, and I'm sharing it with this a lot of passion because, uh, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of, um, like I said, I've seen a lot of things at a young age, and it's it's made me understand things very differently. Your masjids are not very open to this at times. Certain masjid maktabs are not given that facility. You don't know, me and you, we don't know how many students are going through what in their lives in the maktab. I don't know, like from the 300 students, a lot of them have their personal issues. And maybe 20-30% would be would be Islamophobia, especially in the area that I live in and where my students are. We face, we face a lot of things. And even I did. When I was growing up in this area, like I said, my, my, my siblings, my mom, my dad, we faced this. We were the only, or if only, the, the Muslims in the area. All, all we faced a lot of problems. Uh, neighbours, area but like i said now alhamdulillah taha is the leading institute in Rainham. what does that mean that means that there are a couple of things and i'll tell you this is we need to work with the community number one okay a lot of people we are to ourselves and uh, we don't work with the community we need to give da'wah through our character we need to give da'wah through our work they need to see islam as a, as a beautiful religion um so we need to work with the community number two is we need to be strong in our faith 
that I am a Muslim and I should be confident with this, uh, inshallah. And to go back to that question is, again, we need to provide our youngsters with workshops, with facilities that they can come and talk to us. Okay, like I said, put aside the uh, the curriculum for 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 a minute, for 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 a day, and you see how many students open up to you, and see how you can help them as teachers, as uh, as head teachers, whatever position you may have in the in the makatibs and the massages. But yes, to answer your question, brother Asim, it's it's the most important thing, and I spe- I think now more than anything nowadays, um, youth programs are very important, and I'm for that till the end. That they need to, if masjid can't do it themselves, they need to bring in externals to to work with them and to provide that service to them. Uh, I think it's very very important, honestly, uh, because if we don't, they'll face this, they'll bottle it in, and they will commit. They will go to the extreme level, and we will be liable for that. You know, um, <clears throat> because Allah has given us authority. Whoever you may be, chairman of a masjid, head teacher of a maktab, Allah has given us a responsibility. Allah has chosen us. You know, brother Asim, we don't understand this, but uh, our positions as head teachers as chairman, as imams, is chosen from Allah. Okay, we we didn't, uh, at times maybe we, we were thinking of this position, but Allah chose you, Allah chose us. And if we are not doing our jobs properly to guide the youngsters, to help the youngsters, to provide a beautiful community, unfortunately, we're not doing our jobs properly. And, you know, we need to question our, our roles, etc. So it's very important, honestly, Brother Asim, I think it's, it's, it's important. Priority. I think, you know, subhanAllah, to summarize basically what I, what I feel like you said is that the masjid need to also be brave. I think when they look at these issues, they, they often can be like, well, it, it's an issue. I'm sure every masjid know this. They know that this is an issue and it's an ongoing issue affecting the young people. In fact, to the point that maybe you, I'm sure many, I've seen many masjid like this where you'd find, uh, the population of perhaps the 17 year olds to 27 year olds they're absent from the masajid yeah and you could say oh they're at work they're doing university let's be real there are all they're going through challenges that they the masajid are unaware of in terms of you know specifically what they're going through and islamophobia does play a huge part in that to the point that they're questioning their faith because of it the challenge that they're facing the the ongoing tabloid papers and and what's being shared and the negative reactions that they're seeing by people commenting on them even BBC articles, even The Economist, for example, sorry for mentioning yeah. names, but you'd find even the most sophisticated companies or organizations, when they churn out these articles, you see there's horrid comments on Facebook and, and you can build this resentment towards your own people, if, especially if they're weak of faith. And then those masajid also giving da'wah to the Muslims, they're giving da'wah to the Muslims yeah. by being proactive and showing good character and showing that strength, you know, subhanAllah. So I think, you know, subhanAllah, just to summarize, I mean, what... You know, message would you give to finalize what you've said in terms of, you know, to summarize uh, how you feel about this from a masajid level, from a madrasa level? Do you feel like, um, you know, any, any actually more importantly, uh, Mizan, any sort of reflections you have towards our viewers in terms of what they, if they go through Islamophobia, what would you recommend they do for, you know, in terms of from a masjid perspective or whatnot? Absolutely. Okay, Let, um, I will break this down, inshallah. So, number one is my advice to the maktabs, makatibs, and masajids, first and foremost, is we need to implement these things in, 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 in the masjid. It needs to be a separate service for the youth. In fact, this should be the first priority. You know, yes, we have our daily five salahs. Yes, we have um, our Quran circles for the sisters, for the brothers. But unfortunately, like you said, there's nothing for the youth. So, that needs to be our priority. We need to have something in, in the masjid, in the makatib. Whether it's one day a week, whether it's one once a month, there needs to be something for the youth because we are losing the youth today. And Islamophobia is, is something very important as well that we need to tackle with the youngsters. So that's my advice to, to the message of the Makatibs. And now with the parents, teachers, um, and generally everyone who are facing these sort of things is, number one, we need to understand that um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there for us. لا تقنطوا من رحمة الله إن الله يغفر الذنوب جميعا إنه هو الغفور الرحيم And another ayah is واعتصموا بحبل الله جميعا Hold on to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And that includes the Quran Understand the Quran Learn the Quran Understand the hadith Look at the seal of the Prophet You know just listening and just by reading this, the seal of the Prophet That will open up your heart You know so We need to be confident in our religion we need to be ambassadors of our religion. And if you're going through this, retaliate in a positive way. Never ever retaliate in a negative way. Because what you're doing, not only are you making yourself look uh, uh, bad in front of them, 
but Islam as well. Because they are targeting you for a certain reason. And if you're retaliating in this manner, they, they, their thoughts will be solidified. That I thought like this and now you're showing me with yourself. So the bottom line would be is be positive, inshallah, with yourself first and foremost. And uh, if you are going through these sort of things, uh, have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also communicate, open up to, to whoever you need to open up to, inshallah. I believe our brother Aman is on, so inshallah, he'll be giving you inshallah, a bit more insight. To that as well, inshallah. It's an absolute pleasure to have you uh, for the past uh, you know, session. And also, we're joined with uh, Brother Aman from MEND. MashaAllah, Alek. There's the, you know, I'm sure everyone from the UK knows about MEND, the, the work that they're doing towards uh, providing uh, a safe space for Muslims to complain and provide, you know, uh, about their Islamophobic uh, attacks or anything they've been through. And men support them. Uh, legally in terms of the advice that they give towards trying to uh, make Islamophobia a well-known uh, situation and a problem that the Muslims are facing in the UK. So without further ado, I would like to pass on to Aman. Assalamu alaikum Aman. Also Mizan, uh, feel free to stay. We'd love you to stay inshallah ta'ala. But I understand you have other commitments mashallah. So you can leave whenever you'd like to leave. You don't have to announce anything inshallah ta'ala. Uh, brother Aman, how are you doing? You're right. I'd like to apologize uh, for my uh, terrible uh, communication skills leading up to this. Uh, oh, no, no, we got there at the end. Honestly, um, I'm, I'm very grateful to have you, especially with your level of patience and, and more importantly, actually, to do with the podcast itself, your expertise and your experiences. Mashallah. How many years have you been with MEND? So I'll ch actually check my LinkedIn the other day, and uh, I've been telling myself it's been four or five years. It turned out to be six years uh, that I've been part of Men now. So uh, when I joined Men, I always thought I'd be there for a couple of years, five years max. Yeah. And uh, but alhamdulillah, just enjoying the work, I really found purpose and uh, kind of uh, kind of a sense of belonging in the organization. Uh, it's a huge blessing that. Uh, I'm able to serve the Muslim community uh, up and down the country to travel, to meet amazing brothers like yourself uh, who are also involved sure. in trying to uh, kind of better the Muslim community uh, for our futures, for ourselves as well. So without further ado, actually, before we get into um, uh, a bit about what uh, men do, or rather, before we even get into, in terms of, you know, the topic itself, Islamophobia, finding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I want to actually understand what men do and um, how they help Muslims within the West or UK specifically in terms of Islamophobia. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, when it comes to men, so men stands for Muslim engagement and development. And uh, to en encapsulate what men is trying to do, you can do it in two words. Um, the two words are active citizenship. Uh, and the kind of the four areas that we work in is number one, we want to see a reduction in Islamophobia in the UK uh, and Islamophobia in all its forms. Uh, so hate crime, discrimination, institutional forms of Islamophobia. Comprehensively, we want to tackle this problem uh, and see it like the, the long term medicine that's required for an illness that exists within our society. Uh, the second purpose that we have is that we've identified that when it comes to Islamophobia, uh, there's two areas in particular that we as a Muslim community need to, uh, in our view, prioritize if we're going to challenge this problem. So everyone who's passionate and genuinely concerned about dealing with Islamophobia, as a community, a concerted number of us need to focus in politics and in media. Uh, so they're the two areas that we as a community need to dedicate some brothers and sisters who are talented and have a passion for that space. Uh, we need to uh, get more involved in that, but just wider what more widely within the Muslim communities to lift the literacy uh, in regards to politics and media as well. And the third thing is that we want to secure the religious uh, rights that we have as a community. Our salah, our psalm, uh, zakat isn't a, a challenge as such, but hijab and niqab and uh, halal food and all of those rights, we want to secure them for the long-term future. And the last one uh, is that we want to see a change in the narrative when it comes to Muslims and Islam in general in that it's a more positive uh, portrayal and that also that the wider society is able to appreciate the contribution that the British Muslims are making to the UK. You know, in terms of 
your exhibition. So I came across MEND back in uh, when I was doing my undergraduate, and I noticed that um, obviously you had the workshops that you used to do. You had the media workshop, the politics workshop. Um, you also had these exhibitions people could use for, you know, uh, perhaps they rent out uh, or they, bought, they book in the university campus a certain area and then get your exhibition as well for Xenophobia Awareness Month. Um, so I noticed, mashallah, you're very proactive. I actually remember back in the day, Sufyan would uh, would often go to the masajid and he would pitch, you know, with the, you know talking about xenophobia. And you know, it's incredible how proactive you guys have been. And I feel like it hasn't it hasn't really uh, got the credit credit it deserves in terms of what it's done, uh, specifically focusing on xenophobia and trying to teach people the literacy of how to engage with the community at large and get uh, people to understand how severe it is and how difficult it is, which is something that I never had growing up. I never had the the luxury of have organization like Mend to protect me when there was no mosque. Uh, when I perhaps I wasn't, my own family perhaps were unaware of how difficult it was living in the countryside with no other Muslims, no mosque, no, you know, and so ostracized from my from my own belief system. Uh, and so I think in terms of mend what it's done, I, I think it deserves great praise, uh, mashallah, for that, you know, sophisticated and serious approach towards uh, raising the you know, the narrative of Islamophobia and how how apparent and difficult it is for us. But in terms of your experiences traveling all across the UK and beyond, I mean, what stands out for you that sort of epitomizes how bad Islamophobia can be? Um, have you seen any sort of instances or examples where, you know, you've, you've realized just how important this kind of work is? And please do share, inshallah, if you have. No, subhanAllah, I mean, uh, traveling up and down the country. So a part of a project of men that we have is called the Islamophobia Response Unit. Um, so when we first started MEND, uh, our strategy was, okay, we're going to look towards the long-term strategies, long-term medicine required to deal with this problem. Uh, and however, when we started doing our advocacy, our community engagement, we realized that there's such a pressing need to actually here and now assist Muslims across the spectrum with incidents of Islamophobia, whether that be verbal abuse, physical attacks, uh, attempted murder, Massages being attacked, uh, pigs' heads being left outside the massages, uh, sisters being run over. There's one case study that I'll share with you of Sister Zainab Hussein in, from Leicester. Uh, mashallah, she was a, an incredible sister who was very well connected with her community, uh, especially the, the Somali community. And she was uh, run over by this individual who basically wanted, saw her in the hijab and, and wanted to just uh, kill her. And so what he did was he ran her over once then stopped his car, turned around, and actually saw that she was still moving, that she wasn't dead. And so what he did was he turned his car around and reversed over her again and uh, tried to uh, kill her completely. Alhamdulillah, she survived, but she had severe uh, injuries. And I remember our regional manager at the time, who was now our CEO, Azar Qayyum, uh, he went to kind of support that community. And none, none of the media were covering the story. No one was paying any attention to it. It was just an, another attack that had occurred. There was no media coverage. Police weren't taking it as seriously as they should have. And so what, our, uh, what the men team locally did was assist the family as, alongside other community partners as well to make sure that the police were taking it seriously and also that the media were covering it as well. Uh, and this is just kind of a, an example of the work that we do as, as men is assisting people who have been affected Could I ask by one question actually with regards to that? I mean, how important is it for media to acknowledge that this is a hate crime or this is actually very bad? Yeah, no, 100%. Um, because when when something like that is highlighted in the media it sends a strong message that that's unacceptable and that there's ramifications and the consequences for attacking muslims because many people might feel like oh i'll attack someone or i'll say something and i'll get away with it there's going to be no consequences and so that's where the media uh, coverage comes in where it, sh it sends a strong message that's unacceptable one but also there's consequences as well the reason why I ask is that um, obviously I work in marketing and I have been working for a few years and I, and I noticed um, people, even myself sometimes, and we constantly barraged by so many inc incidents of negative situations where Muslims have been attacked or so on and so forth. It's very easy to sometimes be like, well, why are we so negative? Mm. What's the need to be so negative? Shouldn't we be positive? Um, I mean, obviously I know why. We have to be. We have to raise awareness. We have to let people know that this is a serious issue. And through being, uh, through these situations and, and raising, escalating the situations to mass to media, especially mainstream media, it does put Islamophobia on the map 
Um, mm. But I mean, is there more depth to that? Is there? I mean, what would you say if someone says to you, "I feel like we're too negative when yeah. we come to you know uh, escalating these issues"? No, I think there's some merit to that. I think it comes from a place where probably the individual who, uh, or people who, who have this sentiment is coming from the fact that they're just frustrated and fed up of the reality that they are aware of. So they know about the level of Islamophobia that they, uh, that is they face, the families might have faced, or they see in society. And it, it is draining, it is um, kind of psychologically uh, kind of onerous uh, on the soul. And it takes a toll. And you want to live your life in a positive way, which is why as men, we try obviously to highlight the Islamophobia, but at the same time, uh, kind of highlight the positive contributions that we're making as a community, as Muslims in the UK. So Islamophobia Awareness Month, which is what we're uh, in now, so throughout the month of November, the focus has been on time for change. That's been the theme for this year's kind of theme. So yes, in my mind, uh, the awareness has been done for a very long time. Uh, and we can talk about awareness uh, for, forever in the end, but it needs to then now become a more constructive discussion about what changes we need to see in the workplace, in, in schools. I was just at uh, SOAS University before coming in today, and the Islamic Society, mashallah, are doing a great job in that they looked at a number of uh, a particular incident which uh, was Islamophobic in nature, which the university failed to deal with properly. And they isolated that the complaints process itself was inadequate. And so what they've done now is they're uh, working towards a motion to have that complaints process changed. So that's kind of dealing with the, the underlining issue, which is uh, not allowing for uh, incidents of Islamophobia to dealt with being properly. And that's the kind of proactive change that we want to see with this campaign. So yes, we kind of set the scene with the, the the negativity unfortunately because that's a reality and you can't escape that but the conversation we quickly want to shift towards what's proactive what can we do to change it uh, and also talk on the positives that we're uh, making as a as a community mashallah you know um Ustad mizan made a really good point earlier about do not despair of the mercy of allah and also hold tight the rope of Allah together and uh, this form of unity and I think from this discussion discussion of how I felt because I've been I've been here throughout the whole time I've noticed that uh, the believers they complement each other we have someone who works in madrasa someone who works as a head teacher as a Quran teacher we have someone who works uh, in, a, in the field that you're working in uh, in terms of how we deal with xenophobia and I feel like we all complement each other in terms of what we're trying to achieve, which is trying to protect the honor of the Muslim, trying to, you know, allow the Muslim identity not to be affected, to protect the Muslim identity, to give confidence to people that have been oppressed, uh, specifically with regards to this issue. And I find that, you know, as this discussion goes on, it's made me realize that we need political engagement. We need awareness of, of media. We need the safe space of a masjid to accommodate for their you know, for their difficulties that Muslim youth are going through when it comes to their faith, both by the low self-esteem they may have attributed or gone through and uh, have, have had because of what xenophobic events. And so yeah. it, there is this huge need from what I've seen that we work together, we are united, uh, and we try to find holistic solutions that encompass something like what you're doing, mashallah, brother Aman, uh, and, and what Mizan is doing as well. You know, subhanAllah. So I feel I feel that positivity uh, definitely. We have one question from Sister Kenneth. If you don't want me ask, uh, if you don't want me, Aman, is it okay to proceed with this question? Inshallah. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Okay. So the, the sister is asking, what's the most effective way to address the alienation and othering of Muslims when the media being consumed by the people who hold Islamophobic beliefs can be so different to this major to this majority? Yeah, I, th I think it's an excellent question. Um, the, the, there's a reality here where uh, the, uh, the sisters rightly identified that a big reason why we have so much Islamophobia in the UK is because of the way the media portrays uh, Islam and Muslims. Uh, hands down, that's one of the biggest reasons for why we have Islamophobia in the UK currently. Uh, and so with that, uh, and there's one stat that we as men always talk about is that for every one moderate mention of the Muslim community, there's 21 negative references for that Muslim community. So what is it that we can do? And so when we realize that the problem is so per pervasive and such a large issue 
there isn't a short-term solution to it. It has to be a long-term view that we need to take. So what we need to do is as communities, wherever we have our circles of influence and Islamophobia Awareness Month, I'm gonna keep plugging the month because it's the best way to deal with this, uh, to actually best response to this question is that wherever your circle of influence is, is to raise that awareness of Islam and Muslims and also talk about the, the challenges that the Muslim community face in regards to Islamophobia. And for us to get more involved in the media, uh, not only in terms of becoming journalists and news reporters, uh, uh, etc., but also working towards, uh, and this is more of a strategic point, lobbying towards change in regulation of print media. What do I mean by that? The current set of rules that journalists have to follow allow for them to perpetuate the negative stereotypes about Muslims. They get away with writing fact, in factually inc incorrect stories about the Muslim community, stories with some misleading, completely a misrepresentation of the community. They get away with that. And that's because the rules that govern journalists right now are not fit for purpose. And so what we are, are working for, going back to the whole Mendes about the long-term uh, solution, what's the actual medication that's going to solve this problem properly and uh, uh, kind of get to the root of the problem, is we need to have a change in media regulation in the UK. So we're, we're, a big part of what we do is we lobby for media regulation, change in media regulation, working with other partners like Hacked Off and other organisations as well. We're, uh, we're looking for policy changes so that journalists can't get away with the level of uh, kind of misrepresentation of our community that they get away with currently right now. I really appreciate the question, sister. Hopefully that answered your question. Feel free to, you know, ask a counter question or uh, any of that sort, inshallah. I was going to ask you, Aman, based on that, I mean, how do you regulate uh, the media exactly? I mean, it sounds like a very difficult process. I would say that perhaps it's a bit um, it's a bit inappropriate to say, but one thing I, the Jewish community do very well is that they've done they've done that. They've allowed themselves to be accessibly around in every level uh, of, of, the, of the chain. Um, but perhaps it's a bit of a, a, sweep, a sweeping statement or perhaps, you know, that's wrong to say. But what, from your perspective, how can we regulate the media? And then I'll answer so the sister's question, inshallah. Yeah, so in terms of kind of regulating the media, there's a number of things. So uh, we have currently, which isn't fit for purpose, but we have the Independent stand, uh, Standards Organization, which is IPSO for short. It's like Ofcom. Ofcom's a lot more well-known. So if you have something on TV that you're not happy with, you can complain to Ofcom. Likewise, if you see something in uh, print media, either on a newspaper or it's equivalent on online, then you can complain to Ipso and you can complain and have that story corrected or an apology printed thereafter. But the problems still lie that the if the if the mistake was made on the front page, the apology most likely will come in a small column a couple of months later uh, in a, in the middle of the paper. So the remedies are not there currently right now. Um, but what we need to do is we need to get more Muslims involved in the media, uh, working for the big organisations like BBC, Channel Four, Sky, etc., uh, so that we can challenge the the, the editing room, influence that room, uh, and bring that perspective of the Muslim which will challenge uh, the stories that are currently being uh, produced in print media. Uh, print media in particular is very bad. Uh, so that's what we need to do, inshallah. She's also asked another question. Have you found a strong link between nationalist beliefs uh, and Islamophobic beliefs? So um, I don't know what that means I, exactly. Yeah, I think there's a, that's quite a, quite a philosophical, quite a deep question she's asked there. In that, when when you have nation states uh, and you have this idea of a, a oh, national yeah, identity, yeah. Uh, so your your kind of your allegiance is to your nation uh, mm. and the idea of being British, and therefore when a faith comes which is seem uh, seemingly at odds with that, then there's a conflict that occurs, and we see that across Europe, where you've got the rise of the far right who champion nationalistic patriotic policies and language. Uh, and everything other than that, uh, and Islam is obviously seen as the the, the biggest boogeyman uh, in the room. Uh, and you know the theory of clash of civilizations. Uh, I mean, neoconservatives constantly uh, kind of uh, uh, drum the uh, the beat, uh, or, uh, drum the beat that Islam is at odds with European society or British society. So I think there is uh, some merit to what the uh, what the sisters mentioned. No, no, mashallah. To be fair, I, when you explained it, I, I understood exactly what she's trying to say. I mean, for example, we. We are British, as we say, but we're Muslims, and yeah. many of us would say, as well, but arguably so, that we are Muslims first. If there is such yeah. a, I mean, if you were to be categorical about it in that way, 
we would say Muslim being Muslim is first and being Muslim is to respect your people but for them the, just the utterance of being Muslim first from a nationalist perspective is that you have to put the nation interests first nation's interests first yeah. I mean it's a very simplistic way of looking at it but I even if you were to put it jointly, I'm British and Muslim. No, no, you, you can't mm. like that's that doesn't compute or that causes mm. uh, a dis a dis uh, kind of disconnect in the in, in the mind of some people who are particularly nationalistic. I mean, and I, I don't think we have enough time to talk about this, um, but I really wanted to talk about Azim Rafiq's case, uh, the mm. cricketer from the York Cricket Club. Um, it's a very big discussion, but uh, we do have. Uh, we do have maybe five or six minutes left. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how did you feel about hearing about his case, you know, when he, in the media, when it came about the Islamophobic, uh, you know, sort of, of situations that he had when wine was poured down on him? I'm a cricketer myself, so I went to cricket club. I know exactly what he's talking about, like the culture, the laddish culture, the drinking culture, the 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 sort of um, misogynistic culture that they have, the, the words that they use, the, you know, the pubs. You know, for example, the best example, every cricket ground has a pub, basically, you know, pretty much, you know, uh, especially my local cricket club as well. So I know exactly what you're talking about. But, you know, how do you think that case was and when he went to, you know, uh, and he complained? And what do you, from your perspective, from a media perspective, yeah. how do you feel about it? So for me, perspective, obviously, because of the work that we do, um, I was, it was amazing to see someone be so brave, courageous, but also be... Uh, Kind of show an immense amount of patience and and, and istiqama in regards to his steadfastness in regards to his um, kind of particular. I know that he was offered money on many occasions to just basically be quiet and and for this problem to go away. But he said no, uh, this problem unless it's dealt with, uh, I'm not going to stop talking. And so may Allah reward the brother for his patience and for his uh, persistence and his steadfastness throughout this ordeal. I think for over eight years this kind of ordeal happened over and it affected him individually his family uh and his wider kind of even businesses that he's involved in as well uh so th the, when i saw that and it was an immense sense of pride that i felt that we have someone from the muslim community standing strong uh and and, and being steadfast in that no whatever experience i've had i'm not going to be silenced i'm not going to remain quiet for the future generations who are going to come after me i want to make a difference for them so that they don't have to go through the same experiences that we had to. And the same applies to our fathers, in that when they first came to this country, uh, when in the 70s or 80s, whenever they came, they faced a, a, a lot of racism, physical abuse, physical attacks. They used to run uh, for, uh, home uh, from uh, on, on the streets because they were uh, uh, chased by the National Front or whoever it may have been. Mm -hmm. So Azim's case reminds, harks back to the those times, of, but the reality is those challenges still exist now. Uh, Subhanallah, so that I really appreciate your your thoughts, um, Aman. And um, you know, you made a really good point about you know our people. For example, the South Asian community they came here first because they were part of the the British um, uh, Commonwealth, you know, Commonwealth nations. And so it was interesting actually is that my father also related something similar how he used to run from from school in midlands because of the racism that he had faced um and that sort of othering that they felt you know that was present at the time but you know it just to summarize inshallah from your perspective um how can muslims from both levels from the institutions themselves how can they incorporate what the work that you're doing how can they help how can they um help themselves with regards to what you're doing and how do the individuals themselves can they how can they help themselves with what you're doing as well so I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, the work of men is—it's uh, not a men don't own the the problem of Islamophobia. Uh, Islamophobia is a, a Muslim-wide problem, but also a society-wide problem. So we all, like yourself, like uh, like the Ustad before, he plays his role in the in, in his uh, in his role as being a teacher. Yourself as well, being a teacher as well. Um, whoever's listening, you all have your circles of influence where you can. Uh, speak about Islamophobia, raise that awareness. And if you ever need assistance, then MEND is there to support you. So as an organization, you can go to our website and you can find there's a get involved section where you can get in touch with us. Uh, alhamdulillah, the work of MEND is such that we've got quite a significant uh, support structure, uh, full-time workers who are able to assist. So it's their full-time job to uh, kind of, uh, my, my job's full-time. I've got a team of eight full-time members of staff as well who support me in my community work. So we're there to assist our communities. That, 
whether whether can we bring the two together is you have your circle of influence you have your passion to tackle Islamophobia we have the resources and we have the knowledge uh, and we combine the two together there's training involved there's support involved and then we facilitate actions inshallah to bring about change um, I believe that's a wrap uh, I'd like to thank all of our listeners inshallah ta'ala this will be going on all our all of our podcast platforms um, so if you've missed it And majority of our views and our listeners Come through uh, through those platforms MashaAllah from Google Podcasts And Spotify and whatnot So please do spread the word uh, Roots Conversations is is uh, for you It's a safe space for you inshallah ta'ala, Especially for university students and working professionals So spread the message inshallah ta'ala. I'd like to once again extend a huge Gratitude and thanks towards Brother Aman, who is head of uh, community engagement for MENT, and for Ustad Mizan, who came before, who's a colleague of mine or someone who I, I also respect very highly. Uh, mashallah ta'ala. So, may Allah bless them both for spending their, you know, this extra time. He's just come, uh, Brother Aman just come from SOAS doing some MEND work and he's continuing with the podcast. So, I really do appreciate that. Uh, and uh, once again, I have to apologize for any of our listeners for any sort of. Um, slip ups or anything any of any of the sort from my side or and uh, do I look forward to seeing you guys soon inshallah ta'ala so subhanahu bi hamdik wa nashhadu an la ilaha ant wa nastaghfiruka wa atubu assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh thank you so much aman it was an absolute pleasure i i really i do